morning. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 14. At last, we've reached the very heart of Mark's gospel. Can you sense in what Aubrey just read the action picking up? And yet, in a sort of ironic literary move, Mark is slowing the narration down. He'll spend the next 108 verses from chapter 14, verse 12, through chapter 15, verse 47, describing just 24 hours, the final day of Jesus' earthly life. Our gospel reading for this evening covers just a few of these hours. But still, there's already a palpable tension in the air. A dark cloud that at any moment might burst and rain and wash out with a torrential downpour even the memory of Palm Sunday. It's now four days later, Mark tells us, the Passover, by far the holiest festival of the Jewish year. Pilgrims flocked to Jerusalem from all over, to the temple, like ants to a picnic. The Jews were celebrating how God had delivered them, their ancestors, from bondage in Egypt, and particularly how the angel of death had passed over their homes when he saw the lamb's blood on their doorposts. Jerusalem was packed, like packed. Think Times Square on New Year's Eve. Think coffee and bagel hour last year. (laughs) And Jesus, being a faithful Jew, he plans to attend. But there's a problem. Jesus is a wanted man. Mark tells us in verse 1 of our chapter that the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Surely there would be spies. Just like with the white witch in Narnia, even some of the trees are on her side. But Jesus cannot be spotted. Not yet. And so what he does is he dispatches two of his disciples on a covert errand. And the details of this operation, they're so precise that you almost get the sense that things seem to be prearranged by an anonymous network of undercover Jesus followers. So the two disciples are to watch for the signal. There's going to be a man carrying a pitcher of water. It's something that's just conspicuous enough to catch their eye, since normally in that time, only women would be carrying pitchers of water. This runner would then lead the disciples to a safe house where they would give the owner a sort of 
code word. That's what we see in verse 14. The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So that's sort of the code word. And then they'd be led up to a secret room. And from here, Jesus would celebrate the Passover with his disciples, eating like those in flight, just like the people of Israel did in Egypt. Now, why all this trouble? Why all this risk on this day, at this festival, under these circumstances? Why did Jesus choose Passover? Well, as we can imagine, celebrating Passover was a deeply religious act. But through the centuries, it also developed uh, some not-so-subtle political overtones. The Jews saw themselves as a people meant to be free, made to be free. That's why they reclined at the Passover meal, because free people didn't sit, they reclined on couches. So more than anything else, the Passover was about liberation, breaking free. It said loud and clear to the authorities, despite appearances, we are God's free people. To which the Romans respond, how adorable. <laughs> Let us know when your deliverer gets here. In the meantime, shut up and make your checks payable to Senatus Populus Romanus. So the Jews kept the feast. They kept it for centuries, reflecting on the Exodus and waiting for God to send his Messiah and do it all over again on a much grander scale. But it's at this meal, this feast, that Jesus departs from the script. He goes rogue. Jesus begins to tell the Passover story. That's what we assume because that was the tradition. He's the head of the household. He's at the head of the table. But this time, instead of saying words to link the bread and the wine back to the Exodus and forward to this sort of final liberation of Israel, he said new words. Verse 22, this is my body. Verse 24, this is my blood. And in verse 25, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is, in the truest sense of the word, a revolutionary move. Something big was about to happen to Jesus. Something imminent. Something violent. Something cataclysmic. Something earth-shattering. Jesus was about to go as a greater Moses, ahead of his disciples, ahead of Israel, ahead of the world, 
and into the presence of a greater slave master than Pharaoh, into a terror greater than walking through the sea, to lead not just Israel, but the whole world into freedom. That's why Jesus chose Passover, the festival that shouted freedom now and kingdom now. It was to make the meaning of his death crystal clear. Here is Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, lifting up the bread and the wine with tears in his eyes and saying, this is what's going to happen to me. And if you and I want to understand what happened on Calvary, then this meal is the place to start. Jesus gave it to his disciples at the Passover, and he gives it to us in the Eucharist every week when we come to the table. But in this meal, Jesus offers us so much more than an intellectual understanding of his death, an explanation of his death. He offers us his very life, his very death, and all the healing and renewal and forgiveness that his kingdom brings. It's a meal that meets us wherever we are. Remember, Jesus served Peter, who was about to deny him. Jesus served Judas, who was about to betray him. Drink this, all of you. I often think if all of you, he almost said with a wink. Will he not give it to you? If he can give it to Peter, if he can give it to Judas, if he can give it to all of his friends who are about to abandon him, will he not give it to you? That's the question I wrestled with this morning. Let me, let me be vulnerable with you for a moment. I woke up this morning in a haze. Anybody ever done that? The kids came in before my alarm. The rest of my morning just felt like a series of stumbles. The weather didn't help either. It turned out nice, but at the beginning, it was cloudy it was unusually muggy, so I opened the kitchen curtains to let in some light and was disappointed. <laughs> my wife sensed my moodiness, so she made me coffee for the road, but it wasn't the kind I liked. <laughs> She's a uh, loyalist from South Louisiana, so she drinks her coffee with chicory, which isn't coffee. It's a coffee substitute. It's a root the root of all evil. <laughs> Somehow, I managed to make it out the door. Um, I see my neighbor. I don't look at her. I have to write a sermon today. Now, I love preaching. It's probably my most favorite thing to do. But today, it just felt like a lot of work. Have you been there? Right? Parents, you love your kids. Sometimes you just 
teachers, you love your students, but sometimes it's just hard. And it's not like I could write from a pure heart. That ship had already sailed. (laughs) So on my walk into the office, I almost got run over in the parking lot by a man going at least 40 miles per hour. I had my clergy collar on, so I contained myself. (laughs) He, He didn't even see me. But after he parked, I saw him from a distance, and I recognized him, an upstanding, leading man of the city. I judged him, got my Bible and my coffee, and kept walking. My thoughts start spiraling. Why did I do that? How can I call myself a Christian, a priest? I really thought I'd be better at this love your neighbor thing at this age. I have to write a sermon today. Lord, help me. Normally, that prayer brings relief. But this morning, it brought a surprising wave of guilt And it nearly knocked me off my feet. Lord, help me. Are you really asking him that right now? On Maundy Thursday? I pictured Jesus praying in the garden, shaking uncontrollably, sobbing, sweating drops of blood. How dare I interrupt him? How dare I request anything of him? This was the day of his deepest agony, his heaviest grief. Watch and pray, he says. Yeah, he should be making requests of me. Jesus needs my help. He needs me to write sermons. So suck it up, Drew. This has been a really good pregame pep talk. Get over it and get to work. Well, I guess that helped me feel a little bit better. Sometimes it's best to just fess up and get on with it, right? But still my heart wasn't in it. And how can I expect to preach to the heart if I'm not preaching from the heart? Great. This is going to be the worst. Should I fake sick? (laughs) No, it'd be too obvious. Though if I keep drinking this coffee... Should I call my dad? No, that would be embarrassing. I wonder what Aubrey preached last year. (laughs) No, he would notice. Lord, help me. Today of all days, tonight of all nights, I know you are in trouble, but now I'm in trouble. I need your help. And then it dawned on me, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, 
which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Suddenly, my request for help seemed entirely appropriate. This is the night when Jesus most explicitly offered his help to us. On this night, when his stress was at an all-time high, when his energy was at an all-time low, his resources were almost completely depleted, Jesus offered his help. And he still does. Jesus wants to help us. He says to each one of us, eat, drink. Here's my body. Here's my blood. It's yours to strengthen your feeble faith. It's yours to soothe your doubts. It's yours to rescue you from your crippling anxiety and despair. It's yours to redeem you from abuse, to heal you from pain. It's yours to comfort you in your loneliness. It's yours to cover your sins and bring you back from betrayal, to reconcile you and draw you into my warm and accepting embrace. It's yours. It's all yours. All I have, all I am, I give it to you. Jesus' meal isn't for the worthy ones. It's a meal for the people who are closest to him. For those who are faced with the challenge to love him even unto death. But who fail and fall time and time again. Jesus wants to help you. He wants to nurse you back to health and set you free. So come and eat. Come and drink. And whenever you do this, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.